Welcome everybody to episode 46 of Generation Jihad. This is the long delayed episode 46 of Generation Jihad. I am, of course, Tom Dawson. I'm here again with my colleague, Bill Rojo. Bill? Hello, everyone, again. We are senior fellows at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, and we run FDD's Long War Journal. Several people um, have contacted us to say that there's sound issues, that sometimes we sound too loud and too soft. Look, folks, uh, we're working on it. We're trying to f- figure out what that is. I, As Bill will tell you, uh, and Bill has more knowledge of than just about anybody other than my wife, I am a technophobe. So anything technical or anything doing with computers, I am worthless. Bill, is that about right? Tom, I think a more accurate description is you're a walking EMP. If it's if it's mechanical, or I'm sorry, if it's electronic, Tom is pretty much assured to destroy it somehow or another. But yeah, that's that's <laughs> well, pretty much accurate, though. You are a uh, you are, you fear it because you destroy it. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of surprised even that we can get the Zoom link to work. Recording, <laughs> know, uh, right? You know, something that everybody and you know, I mean, my kids are using Zoom every day, and I'm I'm surprised that I could get it to work on my computer. So, um, well, okay, so that's our, our little beginning episode 46. So we're gonna do just a quick roundup just to get back in the rhythm of recording and getting episodes out. We've got more uh, episodes in the pipeline, of course. We're gonna be uh, releasing these more regularly now, coming in the coming weeks. Um, we're gonna have some more guests. But I guess the first thing we'll start off with real quick is just a quick update on the war in Afghanistan. Uh, Bill, President Biden has reportedly considered trying to extend the troop presence for uh, in Afghanistan past the May 1st deadline, which looks like DOD is not going to be able to get out by May 1st anyway uh, for logistical reasons. But basically that they he, he's considered a three to six month extension or something like that um, beyond May 1st. What's the point of that, Bill? I don't. I don't understand. What's the point of that? Yeah. Um. So, the only point of it is because the U.S. hasn't begun its withdrawal, right? And um. Now, look. I. I think you know. There's a couple issues here. There's the the logistical issue of U.S. leaving, right? And given that it hasn't been preparing for this withdrawal, the U.S. military, because of the change of administration and the review of Afghanistan policy. Um, they just physically can't withdraw its forces and get the large equipment out in now or under, um, thir- I guess we're at 30 days now, it's May 1st. So that's one issue. But really what the I think the Biden administration is trying to do here is they'll, they'll, they'll mask, you know, the logistical issues with it the, because they're trying to get a an actual settlement between the Taliban and Afghan civil society with the with the really with the Afghan government. Um, it's pushed a, a new peace proposal, so-called peace proposal, where the Taliban will um, uh, come into a power sharing arrangement. There'll be elections and the constitution is the basis for this. All of the things that the Taliban has rejected over the past and the Biden administration, I, I think they think they can they can move this along in the course of three or six months. I think that's wildly misguided. I know you agree, Tom, given all of the everything that the Taliban has publicly stated that they won't accept. They refuse to share power. They won't accept the Afghan constitution. It's a satanic and this is their own word, satanic. Um, Western construct that's being imposed on the Afghan people through, um, you know, the imperialist and, and satanic West and et cetera, et cetera. These are issues we've discussed numerous times on the podcast. I'm sure we're going to go into it in more depth today. 
But so you have that issue again. So to, to summarize, you've got the issue that the U.S. physically can't, military can't do it. But the Biden administration is probably going to use that as cover to uh, to get tried to, to, to come to some type of settlement between the Taliban and the Afghan government, which isn't going to happen. And then, Tom, I'm not going to jump the gun here. I know you're going to want to discuss this. The Taliban, if they do agree to an extension, they're going to have their... Um, they're going to want their their pound of flesh in order to make this happen, and it's probably a good move for the Taliban. If they were smart, they would accept some some form of extension, and they can get some additional things from the U.S. and the Afghan government. Yeah, let's break this down into two pieces to, just to emphasize these again. Now, one of the things I've been doing is going through the commentary and just making notes of the people who are pretending that the Taliban is willing to come to terms with the Afghan government and is willing to share power and is willing to do something other than restore its Islamic emirate. I think part of, uh, you know, one of, one of the things I've noticed is that there's all these commentators or analysts or supposed experts on Afghanistan um, who have noticed on social media uh, who don't like us for one reason or another. There's We have a fair share of fans too, of course, but yeah, most of the people I didn't even hear of until I see them trolling us on, on Twitter or something. But um, one of the reasons I think that for that is that, you know, look, I think they're full of it, right? I think so, there's an awful lot of people who have pretended that the Taliban is about something other than the Islam, its Islamic Emirate. Even though it calls itself the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan, the U.S. couldn't get them to back off of that even when signing a servile withdrawal agreement in Doha of February 2020. They called themselves the Islamic Emirate over and over again. You and I have discussed the crazy language that the State Department put in there to say, which— Every time they had the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan, the State Department would say, but we don't actually recognize this, you know, you know. Okay. I think it's like I counted 16 times in, in there. And Tom, that language actually occupies about a third to a half a page <laughs> of the actual agreement. The, I went and looked at yeah. this and I was like, this agreement's <laughs> nothing to begin with. And then we have this repetitive language that refuses to recognize what the Taliban calls it, occupying probably somewhere between a sixth to an eighth of the document. It's crazy. Look again, we're we're laughing, but I mean, obviously, this stuff isn't funny overall. I mean, this is there are all sorts of lives on the line. It's just the whole process here is a joke. And I just was noticing, you know, I, there was a there was a New York Times article about um, I forget who authored it, but you know, basically, the front part of the piece was the Taliban thinks that they already won, which we agree with. They do think they already won, and then they had some supposed experts cited in it as saying, well, you know. They, you know, there's somewhere between democracy and the Islamic Emirate that they're willing to come to some sort of power <laughs> arrangement. I'm thinking to myself, first of all, define that. What does that government look like? I mean, this is your, you've got some, some new sort of institution that they're going to resurrect, some sort of new form of government that they're going to invent now in 2021. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, and second of all, I don't know of any evidence. These people that, that write about this, that pretend like the Taliban wants to do something other than restore its Islamic Emirate. I don't know of any evidence, certainly no publicly available evidence, that the Taliban is actually willing to do that. Uh, you know, I mean, all the evidence that you and I track Taliban media all the time, I mean, they call themselves the Islamic Emirate. They tell their fighters for 20 years now or going on 20 years that they want to resurrect the Islamic Emirate. They fight like they're resurrecting the Islamic Emirate. They have a shadow government, which is in place to be the shadow government of the Islamic Emirate. I mean, I don't get, I mean, you have, what are people talking about? Like, I don't even know what they're talking about. Tom, seven days after that deal was signed with the U.S., it issued a fatwa, a religious statement in English. It's not like they were hiding it. That stated that the only acceptable government 
is the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan and its Emir Mullah Habiatul Akhundzada as the leader of the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan. It couldn't, and then its statements subsequently have been consistent, and it's fighting, as you noted, it's fighting. You know, its actions matches its deeds. So, yeah, I don't know what I mean, people actions, are talking about. Words, yeah, it's yeah, I'm sorry. Words, the, yeah. yeah, the deeds yeah. match the words. Um, I don't, you know, look, these these so-called experts aren't, they're, they're hearing whispers from officials, maybe Taliban, maybe, maybe yeah, some Taliban maybe. behind the scenes or, whisper, scenes or whispering to someone. But that's meaningless because look at what the Taliban says when it comes to the Doha Agreement. Look, it's what's on paper. It's what's on paper that matters. You sign this agreement, live up to the agreement. That's the Taliban's consistent statement. Whenever the U.S. talks about stupid things like reduction in violence, not in the agreement, Taliban doesn't care about it. Taliban doesn't acknowledge it. And um, yeah, so, you know, look, this is this is fantasy. And oh, I know what that something between the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan and democracy. Tom, I think I figured this out. This is the mythical unicorn moderate taliban yeah right that's yeah, what they right. there's something that just doesn't exist um that's what the, it, it's it's wish casting we think not we you and i don't but these are these these so-called experts and u.s officials who want this they they have a dream that they that there can be some type of Something in between, and there is a moderate Taliban, but show me a moderate Taliban. I'd like to see one. You know, I mean, uh, all this just brings up, you know, something you and I talk about personally is I, I would love a way to bet against all this stuff. Right? Yeah. I mean, right, I mean, it just, right. it bothers me that we have no way of betting against this idiocy because this is really, really ignorant. I mean, it's just. Wow, Tom, maybe we need to. We need a betting market. A start up a foreign policy betting website. Maybe that's the way to go. But mm. oh, but don't, damn it. Did we just give someone an idea here? I, hope. I don't know. But, but look, I mean, our wager is very clear. You know, if you think the Taliban is about anything other than the Islamic Emirate, yeah, well, good luck to you. you mentioned Habatul Akhansada. Two things on him. One, of course, his title is Emir of the Faithful, which is the title used by a supposed proto caliph. It's the title Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, uh, his followers gave him, and then his, of course, his successor uses. Uh, this is not exactly the same title as like Minister of Border Security or something like that, right? I mean, this isn't, you know, this isn't the uh, interior minister of a new Afghan government. Habatul Akhansa, the idea, one of the things that we saw our sources told us was there was this idea floated that Habatul Akhansa was going to go to Turkey and was going to join hands <laughs> with. Ashraf Ghani and going to accept some sort of religious ministerial post in a new Afghan government because that's all he cares about. As long as he has a say over religious matters, he's fine, right? I mean, if you if there are people that actually believe this, right, then again, I, one, I'd like to be able to bet against them. But two, it just shows, again, why this war was lost and why the U.S. has absolutely no idea what it's even looking at. Yeah, Tom, and uh, guess what? That we, we would have already have won that bet because the uh, Taliban spokesman, I can't remember... Which one basically came, but not basically, he came out and stated, eh, he's not needed there. If we send our yeah, of deputy, right, we, if we send our, you know, the head of our political office or the, the, you know, if we send this guy or this guy, it'll be, it'll be sufficient. He represents him and no way. So yeah, we, we could problem with this betting. We, we'd be killing this market, but I'd, I'd hope a lot of these idiots, these idiots probably wouldn't take up their own bet, Tom. So yeah. uh, we've been I mean, betting against But them. I mean, yeah, I mean, just, I mean, the thing is, is that our sources said there were actually people trafficking this nonsense. 
Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, you got to be kidding me. I mean, first of all, it also, it totally, fun. I mean, I, I don't want to give this too much credence because it is just so stupid on its face. But, but part of the issue is that it does show a misunderstanding of what their actual religious beliefs are because there is no separating the religious beliefs and their political beliefs. It's not like you can have a religious ministry that's run by the Taliban and political affairs or some sort of mixed bag doesn't work that way, right? I mean, they they their whole belief system, which they adhere to after all these years, is that they're going to enforce their religious system, their version of Sharia, on the Afghan po- populace, and that involves politics, involves controlling the political apparatus in a totalitarian, authoritarian manner. You can't get away, you can't escape that. So, you know, look, all these people are out there. You have all these people who are betting on the idea that Taliban um, maybe willing to agree to something other than Islamic Emirate. I'm keeping notes for future reference. You and I have talked about writing a book. We're going to have a whole chapter, I think, on this. We have to, uh, you know, about how how so many people got this wrong and in, in di- misdiagnosing the Taliban. I think we need to to pound that home uh, for just for posterity, for history's sake. Yeah, I, I concur, Tom. And yeah, I mean, it is, you know, after all, the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan. It's not the you know, secular emirate of Afghanistan. And, and by the way, on Islamic emirate, emirate is, of course, one principality or one state in what? The global caliphate. Right. And so the idea, you know, this is part of you know, the whole, I mean, the whole idea that Taliban is a purely nationalist force can be debunked myriad ways, plenty of ways. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's just, the name they give themselves, not the name we've given them. Right. The, and they understand the religious meaning behind sure. Emirate and Caliphate. Emir of the Faithful. Emir of the Faithful. Right. Yep, exactly. Yeah. These things have very specific, very religious meaning to them. And they don't willy-nilly cast that, you know, call Mullah Gonzada the, the Amir al-Munamin or, you know, or call it the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan. It's very specific. And this is instead what we have is Western policymakers and Western so-called experts pressing Western ideas upon the Taliban. It doesn't work Bingo. that way. And that's why we've lost this war. Try, trying to view the Taliban through a Western lens and pretend that there's socioeconomics that can explain all everything away. And, and you know, if we just look at them through a pseudo-intellectual, Western intellectual lens, then then we can explain everything, and it just doesn't work. We Um, can pay them off. We can negotiate with them. We heard that one, too. We we heard that. We heard that we could pay them off, right? We heard that. Your version of that was floated in U.S. government circles. Yeah, so we just paid off a handful of Taliban leaders. They'll come to our side. Yeah, and everything will be fine. Like, those guys wouldn't end up dead, every single one of them that took American money, right? I mean, this is just absolute idiocy that we deal with day in and day out. That chapter, when we do write that, it's not going to be very um, forgiving on our Taliban apologist friends out there. No. Um, so here's the other part of this story is that it, as part of this proposed extension, maybe, a possibility, um, Tolo News reported that the U.S. may, you know, the Taliban may be willing to consider a three-month extension in exchange for, and here's what we predicted all along, uh, all of the 7,000 tal- Taliban jihadis who were in prison in Afghanistan being released and delisting from the UN's terrorist list, the blacklist from the, U- the UN maintains that makes it difficult for them to fundraise and travel and that sort of thing. Which, well, by the way, Tom, the U.S. was, this was supposed to happen as part of the first part of the deal. Too, well, no, the delisting. first part of the deal was purely to consider it. If you read the language, yeah. it's just, oh, uh, that's was, true. Yeah, the U.S. Right. was going to evaluate, yeah. U.S. was going right. to evaluate this. Right. Um, they want to yeah. close this, right? They, they want. They want to now go back to that and say, "Well, you know, you said you would evaluate it, and now you're staying past May first. And I mean, this is all gibberish. It's all nonsense. But the idea that you're going to give—I mean, 
who can I mean, if any genius can, comes up with the idea of actually doing this, of actually giving in, I mean, the U.S. is in the concession mode, of course, when it comes to this type of diplomacy, which is why I've called it servile diplomacy. They go in looking to get, you know, a bad deal, basically, give up, give up as much as they can up front. Um, you know, I, I, I can't believe anybody would actually consider this. Like, why would you give the Taliban 7,000, you know, some percentage of those are going to be back in the battlefield right away. In fact, of the previous release, there was a previous release of, I think it was 5,000 prisoners under the February 2020 Doha deal. Um, you know, the Afghan government reportedly arrest, re-arrested hundreds of them back on the battlefield after they were supposedly these assurances that they weren't going to go back to fight. Of course they did. Aha, uh-huh. big surprise there. Um, a good, a good portion of them anyway. It was estimated that at least 60, 60% oh, had 60%. returned to the battlefield. No, wow. they, they detained hundreds, right. but they have estimated that they that they believe that 60% there had you returned. Go. I mean, so the we're talking 3,000 is... fighters at a minimum yeah. returning to the battlefield um, when the Afghan government is already being hard-pressed. It's in a defensive mode right now. It's in a shell mode. U.S. air support has significantly decreased. Um, it's, uh, it, it, I wrote up, wrote this up a couple of weeks ago. The Taliban is withdrawing from military check posts, from military bases. The Afghan government is, is withdrawing. No, I'm sorry. The Afghan military and police are withdrawing from bases, check posts. So you're going to, you're going to flood the battlefield with enough, with several thousand more in addition to the several thousand that you had, had freed while the Afghan government's on its, on its heels and then think that this is going to lead to peace. Yeah. I got a, I got a bridge to sell you. I mean, wow. I mean, I know I don't know that the U.S. is seriously considering this, but you know, here's here's well, the problem. And, and the U.S. might would do this in a second. Will the Afghan government consider? Well, that's I was just because say. they're the ones that. Well, I don't. I don't, I don't know if the U.S. is seriously considering. I don't know. This is in total news. It was reported. I I don't doubt that they would consider it because the, the stupidity and all this is is difficult to to fathom. But that's what I was going to lead to is if you're an Afghan government policymaker, and the U.S. is considering giving the Taliban these fighters back you know, that you're holding to come get you. I mean, what is the point of that? I mean, this is this is just ridiculous. You know, I mean, it's really stupid. I mean, if you're, one of the things that we had speculated a while ago, and, and obviously the Afghan government has many problems. It's obviously highly dependent on foreign aid, including American aid. But at some point here, what you realize is going to happen is if, you, if, you, if you're an Afghan decision maker, you should have realized the U.S. Is, is slow motion, in slow motion process of throwing you under the bus. Of pretending that you are the problem here in terms of making peace when the Taliban's coming for your head. And what I would say if I were in the Afghan government is, look, at some point you got to say, yeah, you're not on our side anymore. You're leaving. Uh, you, you, you are repeating the Tal- you're repeating Taliban apology at talking points, even as they're coming for us. You know, I, I'm not going to give them more fighters to come kill me and my family, right? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. And, you know, if you're an Afghan decision maker, you got to say, look, you know, this is it. You know, the final battle is coming, you know, and uh, for the future of Afghanistan. And I, I don't know why, if you're if you're an Afghan at this point, I mean, obviously it's easy for me to say I'm sitting here in New York. I'm not sitting in Kabul. You know, I don't have any blood in the game. You know, it's obviously it's easy. But by the same token, just from a pure game theoretical, you know, logical standpoint of looking at it, I don't know why if you're in the Afghan government, you would play along with this, right? I don't know why you would, if you're just making a decision from a self-preservation standpoint, uh, and the U.S. is throwing you under the bus in slow motion, you know, forget it. Yeah, I could provide a little bit of insight. I recently spoke to a, an Afghan ambassador to a foreign country. And, you know, look, he believes the U.S. military has our back. The we, um, You know, we're not going to, we've 
committed to not letting the return of the Taliban. We fear the return of Al-Qaeda, which, we, of course, you and I have documented. Al-Qaeda's never left, let alone, you know, so the return is... A, that was on my list, str- my list here. We'll get to that. Yeah, it was yeah we'll get to that. You know, I'm just yeah. communicating what he's saying here. And, and there, you know, so there's that sort of that eternal hopefulness. And, and, you know, we've been there 20 years. Why would we leave now? Well, ask the South Vietnamese that question. Um, so, you know, you have that, you know, they, it, I call this, we, they, the, the Afghans can't get off the American crack of support. Um, but that, that withdrawal process is going to be happening pre- pretty soon. Um, and part of it is, and I think this is the corruption angle, right? There's a lot of money flowing into a lot of pockets. And, you know, th- that's the, the other part of the American crack, the, the cash crack, right? There's the support crack co- cocaine, and then there's the cash crack cocaine, where, you know, it's a boondoggle while well, the Americans keep pumping in money to the Afghan security forces and the Afghan economy and, and you know, and, re, and re, um, reconstruction and other, you know, it's just hope we could keep that going, keep that going as long, make the Americans happy, keep the Americans happy, and it's going to keep coming until it's not. So, you know, they, I, I think it's going to be a very interesting when this, you know, when the aid starts decreasing, but particularly when the U.S. military support ends that's uh, you know i think the reality is going to hit pretty hard and you're going to see some pretty significant withdrawal symptoms from several from the large segments of the afghan elite and you know the reality is is those afghan elite that's been keeping this sort of bizarre process going they're not going to be the ones that pay the price they're not they're not going to be swinging from you know you're not going to see ghani and abdullah and and uh, you know senior members of parliament and the defense they're not going to be swinging from from lampos in kabul it's going to be the district governor. It's going to be the deputy police chief. It's going to be the administer, the administrator in the interior of the Ministry of Interior, and you know guys that have been, you know, the functionaries and and on the front lines in the fight against the Taliban. Those are the ones going to pay the real price. I mean, I have no sympathy for for Ghani or Abdul or individuals or Car. I mean, Karzai number one on the list. Individuals like that who profited significantly while, um, you know, while refusing to unite their country. And um, it's the it's the guys that are that have been men and women who've been on the front lines of this fight against the Taliban. They're going to pay the real price. That's where my sympathy lies. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say a couple things. One, I mean, I guess I guess the, in terms of the eternal hope, hopefulness, I mean, I, I guess you know, DOD sends mixed messages when they're issuing contracts, of course, to contractors and re-upping and that sort of thing. But, and I, I you know, and there's, you know, I, as you said, there's a lot of heavy military hardware that hasn't been removed yet. But a couple, but I think if you're, if you're a decision maker on the Afghan side, you still got to look at the political rhetoric in the U.S. where you now have had three administrations now in a row where the president has said, look, I don't want to be there. You know, um, you had, uh, Obama claiming to run, he claimed to bring a responsible end to the war in Iraq. He didn't, but then he said he was going to do the same thing in Afghanistan. He, he just sort of, uh, you know, backed off at the last second from a complete withdrawal. Yet Trump uh, endorsed a plan um, for this sort of mini. I don't, I don't want to call it a surge. People call it a surge. It's really sort of a mini increase in forces to try and stand up the Afghan government one last time in 2017. He then begged off that by 2018 and was in full full-on, you know, endless wars rhetoric mode after that from 2018 on. And you have Biden coming in, President Biden coming in. He's just saying, you know, look, I can't imagine being there next year. 
looking at all that, if I'm an Afghan decision maker, I would say, look, you're telling us you're not going to be here next year. You don't want to be here next year. Why am I going to give the Taliban 7,000 guys back, many of whom will probably rejoin the fight to come get me, you know? Um, you know, so I think what I'm saying is if I was a decision maker sitting in their shoes, the way I'd be thinking about this is, look, the Helm's Deep moment is probably coming and there ain't no Gandalf coming over the hill, right? Over the mountain, right? So, uh, you know, I got to I gotta think about how I want to fight this out and, and, and look at it from that perspective. I don't know that they have that type of clarity at this point. Uh, probably they don't, but... Um, just looking at it from that perspective, from an outsider's perspective, all this is very strange. But you yeah, mentioned- oh, Tom, I agree with you completely. I mean, that is completely the logical and rational way to approach it. I, I mean, uh, and I'm just going to make one quick comment. You mentioned the Obama surge. I call I call it in my head a, a pseudo The Trump surge. surge the Trump mean uh, surge. The oh, the Trump surge, too. I was thinking of the, uh, yeah, the, that, I mean, they both were pseudo surges, right? They were limited in, in scope and in well, Obama mission. at least put significant forces in Afghanistan. Uh, sure, it sure. But he, but he handcuffed himself right, by, by the timeline. To, but my yeah. point is on calling the Trump, Trump didn't do what Obama did in terms of even the no. number of forces. I mean, it wasn't. It was a bump. Yeah, it, it, was, was, a bump, it was a small necessary. increase, you know. And so, but any, whatever. And you can criticize that decision now all you want, especially since there was obviously no sustainability there at all either. Um, but, okay, so... You look at all this, as I said, you got if you're looking at this from the Afghan perspective, you got to think your Helm's Deep moment's probably coming. Um, you know, we noticed there was another New York Times account recently um, that was talking about how U.S. intelligence officials were trying to sway Biden on the U.S. presence there. I'm not sure exactly, you know, for how long, but they were trying to sway Biden on the presence there. And one of the things that I noticed in the report was they said, you, you tease this already, Bill, that al-Qaeda will come back. Right. And I just I'm looking at that. And I'm thinking, what? What do you think is going on now? Right. I mean, if you're not been paying attention, you know, you just wrote up. There was a, a guy from Tajikistan, Al Qaeda commander from, you know, AQIS was working with the Taliban was just killed. We've documented. I mean, I'm, I'm sick of writing it up, to be frank. Right. Just, there's so many of these guys pop up on the radar. Uh, you know, there's so many times instances of Al Qaeda guys being hunted down in, in Afghanistan. Um, the truth is and we're not going to go on and on about this again. Uh, the truth is that nobody really knows what the extent of Al Qaeda's footprint is in Afghanistan, but it's not zero. It's not a. It's not a matter of returning. Um, it's to my mind, it's just a matter of whether or not they have their sort of, um, you know, start celebrating and openly that they've been there the whole time, right? So yeah. that's basically what it is. Yeah, Tom, and and I mean that's that's it, right? It's just it's Al Qaeda's kept a low profile. Look, the, this commander he was killed alongside a Taliban leader. They were plotting major attacks. Um, the killed in an area capitals, run, right? Provincial capitals. I yep. Think right. Right. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, killed in an area run by the Haqqanis. Obviously, you know, the Al Qaeda, the, the, the ties between the Haqqanis and Al Qaeda run deep. And the Haqqanis, of course, are an integral part of the Taliban network. And Sarajuddin Haqqani, the, the head of the Haqqani network is also a deputy emir, probably the most influential Taliban leader now in Afghanistan. And, you know, there's another report out the, uh, that kind of went under the radar that the Taliban, is, or I'm sorry, Al-Qaeda is running camps in uh, Dishu district in Helmand province. Well, guess what, Tom? I went back. Shocking. I reported. Shocking. Yeah. Barham Shah, right? We reported yeah. this in 2015. 15. Those camps, those camps have been running for quite some time. They haven't gone anywhere. This is where we, where Tom and I, and we could go over, you know, 
al-Qaeda leader after al-Qaeda leader killed and al-Qaeda camps being targeted and destroyed and whatnot. This is, it, they haven't gone anywhere, folks. The UN estimates four to uh, 600 al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. That's probably a reasonable estimate. It could be double that. It could be triple that. For yeah, I don't, I don't even think it is a reasonable estimate, to be honest with you. I think it's probably much higher than that. But yeah, I mean, because you, you got to think about the Pakistani Taliban. You got to think about all, they're, they've got their hooks into all, simultaneously they'll say they're, you know, potentially hundreds of thousands of, or hundreds to low thousands of Pakistani Taliban jihadis there too, you know, something like that. I mean. Oh, the UN estimated 66,000 to 6,500 of that. Pakistanis, Pakistanis, yes. right. But then only yeah. a certain number of those are Pakistani Taliban. But um, but the but the point is is that I, I don't think anybody has any idea what no. the real number is. We 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 documented this before in the past. We just know it's more than that that stupid two hundred estimate that we've seen floating out there. There's just, yeah, I know. mean nobody really knows. I mean it's but the point is is that there's never been you know one of the things that I recently did a lecture online with some students and I talked about the epistemological problems in studying Al Qaeda, and this is one of the biggest ones, right? I mean is that it doesn't it doesn't matter what data comes up or what examples come up. These models are never, they're very rarely updated for understanding any of this. And this is part of part of telling the story of a lost war is that the U.S. didn't even really understand what they were fighting throughout much of the war. Um, you know, it's a very tough thing to explain to people, especially since so many people have died and been maimed in this war. And yet, you know, the cluelessness a lot of times has been, you know, overwhelming. Uh, and so in any event, I think we're going to find out, you know, after the U.S. presumably withdraws here in the coming months, we'll find out what the... You know, Al Qaeda will be very happy to turn on the spigot, the propaganda spigot, start advertising what they're doing. I, of course, ISIS is still there, and they have a uh, a branch too that is, uh, you know, capable of mass terrorist attacks. They've lost some steam, of course, um, but they're still, you know, still in the game. But you know, speaking about ISIS, Bill, just transition to this here. Um, you know, obviously, ICE, the ISIS group in Mozambique has made gains in recent uh, weeks, seizing territory. And you and I both had the same thought, right? Because we decided another New York Times report. There was a report saying that a small group of U.S. military trainers is in Mozambique. And what's the thought we both had, Bill? Yeah. Why? If we're ending these endless wars, if we want to disengage, why are we engaging in places like Mozambique? What is the point while if this war is over? Afghanistan. Well, while yeah. doing everything... U.S. can to get out of Afghanistan and, and whitewashing the Taliban, which is where this all started. And now we're what? Getting involved? And U.S. is getting involved in Mozambique? I mean, what? Yeah, it, it's it's absolutely. I mean, and look, Tom, I think some of this is the the um, the shine of the Islamic State hasn't worn off. Right. They, they became the shiny new toy in 2014. And, uh, you know, everyone, you know, the reporting on Al Qaeda just pretty much dried up and it became a. Uh, you know, it's been eclipsed by the Islamic State, which you and I know is absolutely wrong. Certainly a big competitor to uh, Al-Qaeda in the Islamic State. The Islamic State was a big competitor to Al-Qaeda and in some areas dominated, um, particularly in Iraq and Syria and some areas in Africa. The Islamic State became the a predominant uh, organization, but Al-Qaeda has maintained uh, significant. But anyway... Um, you know, again, why are we getting involved in Mozambique if this war is over? If we are ending the endless wars, why are we re-engaging? And um, keep in mind that uh, Tom and I strongly disagree with that end the endless wars or end the forever wars narrative. We Our disengagement doesn't end these wars. Is, as Tom has, uh, I, won't, I won't steal your, your coin for it, catchphrase, um, as he, Tom has said numerous times, it's an endless jihad, not an endless war. 
Yeah, but I mean, it's just it's curious to see. I mean, obviously, it's only a small footprint going into Mozambique, but you know, still, it just it raises a question. And you know, and again, I think part part of where we agree with the critiques of all this, and we have plenty of our own critiques, criticisms as well, is that you see there's this disjunct between the political rhetoric, and then you see the U.S. is still, you know, active in different places. Um, you know, there's no there's no ability there's no willingness to articulate to the American people why U.S. military is doing any of this at a political level. And that's a problem, right? I mean, you can't, you can't just have this stuff be on autopilot or do this, you know, and, and not explain to people why you're doing it and what the necessity of it is. And the other thing about it is you just got to be careful about mission creep, which you've, which you've talked about a lot, Bill, the mission creep in these different areas. Um, you know, Somalia was a good example where that, you know, that, presence, you know, look, Shabab is part of Al Qaeda. It's an Al Qaeda branch. There's all sorts of disconnected dots nonsense on that, which we've rebutted through the years. Um, but the US presence in Somalia sort of crept up uh over time, you know, to several hundred troops from a smaller footprint. And there wasn't a lot of debate or discussion politically over why the US was doing that. And that is a problem. We've said that's a problem. Uh, you know, so um I, I just think looking at all this, you know, I, we saw, I mean, the Mozambique is not a big story. According to what we know, there's only a small footprint there of, of trainers, but it's one of those things where you, know, you look at it and on its face, it's just, it's a little jarring to see the U.S. desperate to get out of Afghanistan after all these years and after failing there in many ways. And then now we're going to sort of shift any amount of resources to Mozambique. It just it doesn't mean that that isn't the nicest group. You and I don't play the disconnected dots on that group. Some people do, but we do think that's part of ISIS as well, but it's still jarring to see that, to see the U.S. putting any kind of amount of effort into that. Yeah, and just to be clear, you know, should the U.S. send advisors to help the Mozambique military fight ISIS? I think this is a smart use of resources. Absolutely. Um, if they can help fight the Islamic State while not engaged, getting um, in, engaging militarily, um, even if we did do that, I, would, I wouldn't think that was a bad idea. Um, however... You know, again, we're, you know, this is where our actions and our rhetoric don't, don't line up. And that's what's so disconcerting to Tom and I. That's why we're, we're just confused about all this. We're told the endless wars are ending. We're pivoting to China, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And yet we're engaging in new countries. Well, why are we engaging in new countries? Yeah, I, because I, I wouldn't say I'm confused about it. I just say I think the political. No, yes, yes, Tom. The political class is confused about it. Yeah, yeah. when I use confused, it's yeah. a, it, we know what's going on. It's just why is, you know, why aren't we, be, why isn't our, our political class being clear about and it's yeah. just it's it's just bizarre to watch this rhetoric of we're ending the we're stopping our involvement. You know, Thomas, you noted numerous times our footprint in Africa and the Middle East and in and in South Asia itself um is minuscule compared to what we have in the Pacific region or compared to what we have in, in Yeah, Indo Indo Pacific Command has more than four times the personnel of any other combatant command according to DOD. And so that includes CENTCOM, which oversees all these, you know, uh, the nine, what we call the 9-11 wars across the Middle East, and also more, more than four times as many as AFRICOM, which, of course, oversees the presence there. Look, that said, I mean, and the reason why I note that is because I think that a lot of times the debate about this stuff is unhinged from that reality. It's yes. unhinged, you know, you, you want to debate whether or not the U.S. should be in any of these places, fine. Like I, I've said, and I still say, like, I don't I don't know enough about Mozambique to say that I would even put any trainers in there, to be quite frank. You know, I don't know that I would I would I would authorize that if I had the power to do so. 
Um, I just think it's still jarring that there's any, that anything's going on there. But my point is, is that you hear from defense circles, you hear this idea that we need to pivot away from all this in order to support this confrontations, looming perspective confrontation with China, which I would have misgivings about that for many reasons as well. But my point is, as a resource allocation argument, that doesn't hold water. I mean, you know, you're not going to tell me that 25, 30, 25 to 3,500 troops in Afghanistan, we saw the reporting, <laughs> we don't even know how many yeah, are right. in Afghanistan. I mean, yeah. Lord. Uh, yeah, thanks for the, uh, thanks for the, uh, you know, being honest about that. US military. Yeah. And then, but, and then, you know, then still a small footprint in Iraq and Syria. Um, you can debate the merits of, of having a footprint all you want, but don't tell me that that gets in the way of great power competition with China. I mean, that's ridiculous, you know, and I think if you look at the budgets, the, the, the military budgets, one of the things I want to do at some point, we're going to do an episode on military spending. I think you and I have to do an episode. On episode. Sure. We kind of come at this a little bit differently than a lot of people, but we think there's a lot of criticism to be had. And there's, there are a lot of valid critiques about how the military spends money, you know, and one of the things is that you hear them say, well, they've been spending all this money on the 9-11 wars and will spend on other things. I'm like, I, I'm going to tease what we're, our conclusion, but I've looked at the budgets or at least reporting on the budgets. And that doesn't, I mean, it's been a long time since these conflicts have, have really eaten up the DOD budget. Um, doesn't make sense to me. A decade, Tom. Yeah. I mean, really, it's such a, you know. Meanwhile, they're blowing money. In fallacious the argument. Blowing money on the F thirty five and God knows what else. I mean, we'll get stop teasing, Tom. Stop teasing. Yeah, we'll stop teasing. But, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. You have anything else for this uh, short, abbreviated episode, Bill? Before we go, no. That's a, I think that's it. I'm glad we hit the Mozambique issue. I think that's a really important one. And you know, I want to just reiterate that that look. There, you know, if I had the decision, I think that's a wise use. I, I think we recognize that uh, Islamic State Central Af- Africa provinces are growing and probably one of the most prolific Islamic State branches. It's something we should be concerned about, the spread. And if we can do small things like sending 20 trainers to help that, you know, we should be do it. But we shouldn't put it in this crazy context of prolonging endless wars and other nonsense like that. But uh, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Well, I'll, 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 I'll give you one more uh, point on that. I saw some ISIS fanboys uh, celebrating the gains in Mozambique, and they were they were reusing the old ISIS phrase, uh, you know, remaining and expanding. And I thought, you know, geez, just as much as our political rhetoric is all screwed up about this, and there's no understanding of what the U.S. has been doing post 9-11, really, or there's a lot of debate, but there's a lot of misunderstanding, too. These guys are also confused about it, too, because the idea that you're, you didn't, the, the first part of that, the remaining, you didn't do, guys, right? Yeah. You didn't, the remaining part of your caliphate you didn't, didn't happen, right? Now, maybe you're expanding right now in Mozambique, but... Uh, you contracted not- in Iraq and Syria. That's yeah, you contracted in a lot of places, and it's it's not exactly like you can claim this is remaining and expanding. So, at least their rhetoric is screwed up just as much as ours is. I guess we'll leave it there. It's so. well-meaning screwed up. I'll give them that. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't give them that. But <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that means even, but all right. Well, thank you to our listeners for tuning in again to this week's episode of Generation Jihad. Sorry about the delay in getting episode 46 out. we got more coming. Uh, please do subscribe to the show. As a reminder, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. And we will see you again next week. And I mean that. We're actually going to see you again.